you know, we have to make a difference in our lifetimes right. about this climate crisis. And, you know, the oceans are, as you mentioned, are in, in trouble. Uh, and essentially the oceans need a hero. And I don't pretend to be the hero, but I do think I represent an institution that will be heroic. Yeah. I'm Todd Harrington, and you're listening to the Gray Matters Podcast. Along with my co-host, Tony Hoyland, each episode explores a special guest's lifelong passion. There'll be a bit of nostalgia, but mostly it's our guest's personal story of how they discovered their passion and how it evolved over the years. Welcome to the Gray Matters Podcast. Our guest today is Peter Domenicao. He's the president of Woods Hole Oceanographic Institution, the world's leading independent nonprofit organization dedicated to ocean research, exploration, and education. He's a marine geologist and a paleoclimatologist. Before Woods Hole, Peter was a professor in the Department of Earth and Environmental Science at Columbia University, where he also served as Dean of Science for Arts and Science faculty. Without further ado, Peter Domenical. Hey, Peter. Hey, Todd. Nice to see you. So good to have you on the show. So before we get started, uh, you'll hear a voice chime in from time to time. He's a musician, a professional voiceover artist, and someone you might call a creative miracle of science in his own right, my co-host, <laughs> Tony Hoyland. Hey, Tony. Uh, <laughs> hey, Peter. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you as well. So on the show, we we you know we're going to talk about what's all and all what you've done, but we really a lot of the show is about people's passion, their calling, the journey, their ups and downs, you know. So I'm going to go back a little bit. I know you talk about what you're doing now, but I want to talk about a little bit. When did this passion for the water, ocean, begin? I know many of us grow up swimming and surfing and all that, but something happened different to you, and when did that kick in? If you want to go back. Right, yeah. So uh, unlike uh, a lot of my colleagues who for their whole lives have strived to be uh, an oceanographer or to do something next to the ocean, uh, you know, for me, I, I I did grow up in a town that was kind of near the water. And, uh, you know, my my engagement with the ocean was really sailing around in a sunfish on the summer. It probably was <laughs> the, the closest adventure I'd had on the oceans. But um, I actually started out uh, as a young person really interested in in art and studio art and painting in particular and I was just really passionate about that and then when I went to college I actually that was my intended major uh, as well as stud- as well as math <laughs> of all things and my father at the time art and math I know, right wow. and okay. so my father you know pulled me aside one day and says son you got to figure this out because that's going to be a hard one to bring together <laughs> and so I did what any teenager would do is I uh, I went hitchhiking <laughs> oh yes right and so I uh, I hitchhiked from my college in upstate New York um, took me down through the Adirondacks and through Albany and then my last ride just happened to leave me uh, drop me off on Cape Cod um, actually curiously enough opposite of the entrance to the Woods Hole Oceanographic Institution in Woods Hole, Mass. Wow. And uh, so at age 19, I was uh, there looking at the entrance to the to this 
campus and it was like I'd never known what a research campus would be like or what a life in science would be like. I just I I just wanted to go in and wash my hands. So I walked in and there are all <laughs> these signs saying, you know, no trespassing because at the time they were doing a lot of Navy work. This was in the late seventies. Wow. Um right. and and uh, anyway, I walked into the campus, and then you know, you just—it's this you know magnificent place with you know gleaming instruments and gaggles of students and scientists roaming about. And I was just starstruck. And this, as I came out of the restroom and like shaking the water off my hands, this big hand comes on my shoulder, and I—I I thought for sure it was going to be a cop, and <laughs> uh, and it turned out to be somebody very different. And he said, "Son, come into my office." And he wheels me around into his office, and it turned out he was a uh, Dean of Graduate Studies at the Oceanographic. Wait a minute, you just went in there to wash your hands and this guy's coming out and grabbing you in the yeah, shoulder? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then, because yeah, he could tell it was... Totally geez. meant to be. Oh, my God. <laughs> and Something then about he, a sign and, from God. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I had this thing where I just, you know, he kicks up his feet on the table and laces his fingers behind his head and he said, well, let me tell you about my life. And I, you know, I sail around the world. I work with really smart people. I build stuff. Um, you know, my time is my own. I can wear whatever I want for clothes. I can, you know, I just sort of sketched this life that I had never known about. It's like door number three being presented. <laughs> wow. And, uh, so I walked out of the building that day and said, this is what I'm going to do. And that's what I did. Oh my God. I did. That's, that's a so amazing cool. story. To like out of the, the fact that, uh, Exactly. And the fact that this guy, like, you know, if you can walk into any place and who's to say the main guy's going to grab you and take you to his office, that is, that's wild. Yeah, I always actually. wonder, like, what if it had been at 7-Eleven instead of the oceanographic? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> well, the fact that you found your way there, and I guess that's been your journey because you were at Columbia and, and, and other, did that. So you're, you're, but your eye was on that main goal, you think, for, for forever to end up there? No, not at all. I was totally happy at Columbia. I was, I was, I was, uh. I'm a pretty loyal guy, and I was there for 33 years, and I was they were my only employer. I got my PhD there, and then uh, basically I came up from the mailroom, and my last job was dean of science. Wow, that's amazing that you were that long, and so so. But obviously, you kept in touch with them because they, you didn't. This just they reached out to you, and this all they needed somebody to take over. Or how did that happen? Yeah, so I mean, the, you know, the oceanographic is uh, ninety-three uh, years in existence, so it's almost mm -hmm. a, a century old. And there have been ten other directors prior to my taking on this role. And I mean, the Woods Hole Oceanographic—it's the largest um, independent ocean science and engineering institution in the world. Wow! And uh, it's it's this place of storied, you know, ocean science history. I mean, entire textbooks have been written on this campus um, of, you know, basically what we know about the oceans. And so it's a really remarkable place that way. Yeah. Well, I read, I mean, I was reading obviously all about it, but your focus, I mean, you got, you kind of encourage your scientists and engineers to push the boundaries of knowledge, it says, about the ocean, because you really had to reveal its impact on the planet and lives. I see that your focus is on the ocean and its complex connection with the atmosphere, land, ice, sea floor, and life, including humanity. So I like the fact that, you know, when, when when you went took it over, I mean, when you got there, it's been going on for a while, but I found it interesting how the, the, the dramatic uh, importance of this has changed drastically since before you got into this business, because now it's, you guys see, I read it's like um, the health, and it's like the hero, the ocean is like the hero in combating the climate crisis. I mean, it's really something so critical to the health of our planet. 
But I was when I was thinking about your journey to get to where you are now, it's changed so dramatically because a lot, you know, it's with, with pollution and climate change, it's become more and more uh, to the front stage, if you will, of what you you know we need to focus on. So you must be just gone the, the go-to guys for a lot right now, correct? Yeah, we are. It's I mean, it's uh, it's always been sort of the the, the focus point of uh, research and. Um, the sort of go-to institution for anything oceans and climate. And, um, you know, anybody, even a non-oceanographer who sort of thinks about the planet, just imagine that image of Earth from the surface of uh, the moon that was Ugh. taken. And, uh, you know, it's a blue planet where roughly two-thirds of the surface of the Earth is, is water. So it's not surprising that pretty much everything that we value living on this planet actually has its origins in the oceans and you know, every drop of rainfall that we drink or that nourishes our crops or, you know, the coastlines where a third of the world's population live or, uh, you know, you can go on and on. The food, um, 20% of the protein comes from the oceans. So it's, um, you know, every in every way, the oceans are kind of essential for um, human existence. I think, mm. I think there's a number, I think it's 90% or just 90% of all trade travels on the seas. Yes. Wow. Okay. So you you know the fact that you kind of there I say stumbled into this career um when you look back what is the when you after the stumble and you're actually doing it um what is the what's the difference about you as a 20 year old in this field versus now I mean what is some of the things you've learned and the changes I mean obviously things have changed a lot but you Peter the journey Yeah I'd say it's uh you know it was a real actual it was really an, an actualizing um, career decision for me. I mean, it was something that, you know, what attracted me to it was not just studying nature and, and studying the oceans, which, you know, you can't help but love, but they're really, really hard. Um, you know, the science of oceanography, the science of climate <clears throat> is really difficult because it involves all of these um, core, what we call fundamental sciences, math, physics, chemistry, geology, engineering, and so you have to be conversant in all those, but then at the same time, you have to kind of be able to think across disciplines mm. to link them all. So that part of it was really exciting, and um, and honestly, it was just incredibly humbling to, um, at the time, be in graduate school, but then later be in careers next to some people who I regard as some of the brightest people I've ever met. And um, I think the you know one of the most gratifying parts about it is that you know being a research academic, you know, being a researcher, it's such a privilege um, in the best meaning of the word in the sense that, you know, you really, you follow your own ideas and you follow your your mind and your, your capabilities and your partnerships and your engagements with others. And it leads you to these, you know, areas of discovery that you never know what you're going to find. And in many cases, it's confounding and it's just so much fun to try to figure it out. It's like a puzzle. And so, you know, one of the great things that I liked about it was you are on this journey and you're never quite sure where it's going to take you. You wake up every morning wondering like what it is that you're going to discover. And invariably you discover something that oftentimes you can't figure out. Yeah. So the, the, the younger version of you is still as fascinated with it now as what you're doing. It's, it's just keeps evolving obviously, but you're just as excited about it as you were back when you started. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, one, one thing I can say, to pretty much anybody who will ask, which is that, you know, is this a 
a good career for someone. It's a good job. It's just, it's, it's a wonderful existence. It's a, it's incredibly gratifying, but it's also, you know, you're not going to get rich doing it and it's, uh, and more people fail than not. Mm. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a bumpy road to get there. And I think that's the, you know, that's the part that, um, it's easy to romanticize the life of a scientist, but in reality, it's like a combat sport. Just wondering, Peter, do you still paint? Do you ever find time to paint? You know, I did for the longest time. I did, uh, well, you know, throughout graduate school and throughout mm-hmm. my sort of first 10 years. And then, you know, the minute I started taking on these administrative roles, um, I guess about 10 years ago, I started taking on, you know, as department chair and then some other things. And the minute you take on those things, they're just so all-consuming. Mm-hmm. That, at least for me, I wasn't able to, to, to balance that. And that's really just my own failings as a human. I think I just need to uh, make time for it. Looking back now, I mean, I sometimes ask guests, could you imagine now doing anything else? And if so, would you, then you have pursued a career in the arts, you think? Or, or you know, I think if I could dial myself back and, and have the freedom to do what, you know, I wanted to do, I think it would, be, it would have been music. But you know, that's saying that with absolutely zero talent in music. But, um, uh, so you, know, you you mentioned earlier with your, your the guy who dragged you in at, at Woods Hole, you've obviously traveled all over and, and met incredibly interesting, brilliant people along the way, correct? Yeah, it's, um, I mean, that's, you know, one of the best things about the, the job as well is, um, you know, in the, in, uh, when I was first doing my work, most of my research uh, on the oceans were off either coast of Africa, so off of West Africa and East Africa, and then um, along the Southeast Asian margin, and then in the North Atlantic. And, um, you know, in the course of doing that, you travel a lot, and you not only go and give talks in other places, but you stay with people, and you stay in their homes, and you get to know them and know their cultures. And, you know, that's another side benefit that I I have to say I didn't anticipate at all, but it was just the the um, the wonder of meeting people in their own environments and seeing how people live their lives in different places around the world. I did quite a bit of work in the Middle East as well, and why? You know, some of the desert cultures are some of the most welcoming, humanistic individuals and groups of people you would ever want to meet. So, you know, we, I can't help but think about when we I talked earlier about you know the the changes with the ocean and obviously things are very different now with our waters and things. So what is your biggest concern right now? Are you feeling that there's hope in things that you're finding that, that we can hopefully turn things around to some extent? Yes, I, I do. And I'm, I'm uh, not only out by nature, but also just kind of based on what we know about how the planet functions, and, you know, how, how much time we have to turn the, the, the ship around. I'm, I am optimistic. Good. There's, and there's a lot of reasons both um, from some really basic technical um, analyses of, uh, you know, how rapidly renewables are aging and, and uh, how, how rapidly they're overtaking a uh, new generation from fossil fuel plants, for example. Um, but, you know, aside from, from that, um, you know, the call to action, uh, both in terms of decarbonizing the economy, which always has to be job sure. number one. Yeah. Um, but then, um, you know, one of the most uh, surprising things that I read recently was in a uh, called the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the IPCC report um, that came out, the sixth report that came out last year, 
um, there was one line in it that was just arresting for me, which was, uh, it's the quote was, um, all pathways that limit warming to less than one and a half degrees centigrade require carbon dioxide removal. Now, that was not true a decade ago. It wasn't yeah. true 10 years or 20 years ago, uh, but it is true now, which basically means we have to develop ways to remove carbon from the atmosphere at the scale at which we're in which measured in billions of tons, and that's an impossibly large number for anyone to really get their head around unless mm. they know what it is. Wow. But it's, um, you know, the the impressive thing is that um, the oceans have the tremendous capacity to take up carbon. Um, you know, the oceans have about 50 times more carbon in them as a reservoir than does the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. So you could actually take the entire carbon dioxide, excess carbon dioxide problem that is the whole thing that we're worried about in climate change, right? The whole thing. If you could take that carbon that we put into the atmosphere and mix it in the ocean uniformly, the ocean would barely even know it. It's uh, it's about uh, 1% of the total ocean res- reservoir. And there are ways to do that. There was a National Academy study that just came out about a year ago that looked at three different approaches and commented on how they can be scaled up or not and the ecological harms or not and looked at all the different ways in which these processes might work. And, you know, the, the net result is that the the only thing that can get us the carbon dioxide removal potential that we need in the next decade uh, is the ocean. And so that's one of the primaries of focus we're working on here at the Oceanographic is um, not at all advocating for ocean CDR, but really trying to make sure the science stays ahead of the solutions. Mm-hmm. That is, you know, you're making sure that you have the best science that's informing whether something like that is a good or a terrible thing to do. Yeah, yeah. You know, one of the reasons why uh, I am optimistic is that I think um, we are getting to the point of of weighing those risks with action. And it, uh, in every measure, anyone who's looked at this, the action is far less costly than the delay of action. Okay. That's good. So um, I often ask people like, you know, it's pretty clear you're passionate. Why do you still do it? Because of you need, you're involved with the change. I mean, that's it. It's something different than just a, having a passion for a job or a trade. This is something you do this because you know you can make a difference. Is that what is behind your, what drives you still? To yeah, I mean, it's actually, it's a thing to kind of go back to the you know, I mean, I was at Columbia for 33 years, and it's a good question to ask, why did I leave? Uh-huh. Um, and it wasn't because I wasn't happy there. Um, you know, I left Columbia, and not only did I leave, but I gave up tenure, and I gave up a named professorship, and I gave up my dean position. I, you know, I, I gave all that up to take on this um, role as being president of the Woods Hole Oceanographic for really, you know, one reason— but that reason is an umbrella reason for a whole bunch of others, which is that, um, you know, we have to make a difference in our lifetimes right. about this climate crisis. And, you know, the oceans are, as you mentioned, are in, in trouble. Uh, and essentially the oceans need a hero. And I don't pretend to be the hero, but I do think I represent an institution that will be heroic. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. I mean, it's almost in the fact that it is Woods Hole. It has come full circle, circle from that day. You're washing your hands in there. That's just <laughs> incredible. <laughs> it is. It is remarkable. I mean, uh, you know, I, sometimes I reflect back on that, and it's just I can't really give a sensible explanation for it other than fortune. 
I mean, uh, along this, I mean, besides what you do, I, I, we often, I, what, what have you learned most about yourself? Because you, during this journey, I mean, not in Columbia now to Woods Hole, not just about the ocean, about what you as an individual, you, you're, you're drawn to. I'm not just, again, not just the ocean, but what mm. have you learned the most about yourself in this journey? I mean, it's, boy, that's a great question. I mean, I think, um, you know, the, the, the biggest lesson I've learned is uh, the value of persistence. I really believe in something, whether it's another person or uh, a piece of music or some other larger outcome that, you know, as you apply yourself to it, you'll constantly be beaten back by, you know, short-term defeats, if you will. <clears throat> but the persistence of it is, or persistently weighing in, stepping up and, and cu coming back to it informs kind of new directions that themselves become more valuable. And mm -hmm. so, you know, I think that the, the journey for me has really been about, um, you know, why, why am I really doing this? And, you know, when you're a young scientist, it's writing scientific papers and making these discoveries and getting research awards and having students and kind of building up your group. And then, you know, that morphs into, you know, what's the really big thing that I want to do in my career scientifically? And then that morphs into, for some people anyway, you know, how can I be useful to my community or to the world? And then, you know, ultimately, if you're given an, op an opportunity like the one I've been given here, um, you get to ask a bigger question, which is, you know, how can a, an institution like ours as well as the other leading oceanographics around the world, how can we collectively work together to really try and make a difference on the you know time frame that we can? Yeah, and that's where we are right now, and that's you know and that's been a really gratifying thing. So, you know, you, for me anyway, I, I traveled from um, I'd say very immediately fulfilling egoistic things right. to uh, something that kind of is more akin to a spiritual journey or something. Peter, I'm curious, prior to um, joining Woods Hole, when you were at Columbia, um, I know you were the Edison Professor of Earth and Environmental Science and the Dean of Science. Was your primary focus oceanography at that yeah, point? Uh, yeah, I'm a, what's called a marine geologist. So oh, okay. Oceanography, okay. oceanography has four key disciplines, maybe five actually, but it's you know biological, geological, physical, and mm -hmm. chemical oceanography. And then the fifth would be engineering. And I was in the geological realm, which is, I you see. know, I basically got my PhD was in geology. And, um, and, and, you know, what's cool about the ocean bottoms is that they're, they're carpeted with uh, very, very slowly but constantly accumulating sediments that are delivered from rivers and from dust storms from, wind, you know, from wind, uh, wind systems. And those sediments accumulate about an inch every thousand years or so um so they're really slow if you go through the whole depth of the sediments on the bottom of the seafloor if you take a sediment core let's say from that it can those sediment core can go from uh zero which is today at the very surface to hundreds of meters down which can get you like a hundred million years in the past oh my god wow that's fascinating the cool thing about it is that it gives you this um, continuous encyclopedia of earth history uh, in the oceans. Did you, before technology got advanced, back a little before Woods Hole, did you, did you, Peter, go diving a little deeper? Or was it all been all technology for since you've been doing this, kind of doing the study? And were you <coughs> down in there with the whole gear on ever? 
<laughs> well, I would say the whole gear as any scuba diver, nothing very much more exotic than that. <laughs> okay, okay. I haven't been down in the submersible yet, although that's that's supposedly one of the perks of my job. So I'm looking forward to actually diving on our, we have a submersible here at the Woods Hole Oceanographic called Alvin. Oh. Uh, it's a fam- <laughs> famous diving vessel that was the one that actually found the Titanic. For oh example. my God. Wow. Or you may know about these tube worms that live in the bottom of the ocean that this whole ecosystems of crabs and clams and tube worms and algae that actually they don't live off of sunlight. They don't have any connection to photosynthesis. They extract their entire life energetics using um, chemicals that are coming out of the ocean, out of these vents that are in the bottom of the ocean. Hmm. Wow. Well, I mean, not to get too philosophical with you, but when you're on the water, do you feel like, you know, I don't know, does the ocean define Peter? I mean, is that is that where you're, you're happiest? Is What do you yeah, feel when you're sure. out there? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. You know, the ocean has a uh, an absolute energy to it. I mean, uh, anybody who's walked near the ocean certainly has gotten that sense of either yeah. the power or the smell or the just rejuvenating sense of it. But it's also just an incredibly centering place to be. And yeah. especially when you're out at sea in the middle of some ocean, you can't see land on any horizon. Oh, and God. then to kind of be there, tossed around by these waves that are you know, not necessarily that tall, but they're really long. So you really know you're in this huge ocean basin because the, uh, you know, the waves that you're seeing are just, you know, they were born in the middle of the ocean and they just have this tremendous power to them. I'd say that's actually one of the things that's really great about being an oceanographer is you really do end up building this connection to something that's far bigger than you or your life or humanity for that matter. So what does the future hold for Woods Hole and you, Peter? I mean, I know it's a big statement. You got projects you can't share, top secret, but like, what, what is what is the plan? <laughs> no, actually, this one's a pretty wild, actually. I, I, I've been in the job almost exactly two years to the day, uh, within oh, a couple of days. That flew by. And um, one of the first things I wanted to do was to help us develop a vision together for the institution. What do we want to do for the next decade? Mm-hmm. So this is kind of an answer to your question. It can sort of be summed up in a single word, which is uh, courage. And it's really, it's the courage to pursue these sort of really big grand challenge questions that humanity and everyone is asking about, you know, how can we advance our understanding of the oceans and climate and how it impacts people uh, rapidly enough to make a difference, you know, the kind of difference that we need to solve it climate challenge and so what was great is the institution um, got behind this kind of larger destiny um, to really find ways to work together to pursue these really big questions about you know how is ocean warming affecting um, phytoplankton growth in the ocean Uh, how can we save coral reefs Um, uh, is the big ocean overturning circulation going to stop or you know what are the conditions under which it might be threatened and so there are all these kind of big kind of planetary scale questions that we're kind of standing up to right now and that's it's really exciting to see a place like this move in that bigger kind of coordinated direction it's a little like a moonshot yeah yeah that's incredible well um 
Any uh, final words around your journey? Just want to share with the listeners. I remember this is the gray matters, and it's about people and and trying to maybe make some changes whenever in their life. And any thoughts, words of wisdom, uh, not necessarily about the ocean, uh, about what's whole, about your journey that you want to end with? Yeah, I mean, I I guess, uh, you know, I've been thinking about this myself in terms of, you know, as you as you get older and your perspective on your life and your role in the world evolves. Um, you know, one of the interesting things that um, I became aware of, in part because of a good friend of mine reminding me of it, <laughs> she said, "Peter, <laughs> most of our friends who are our age are retiring. Why did you step into the breach to you know commit to a long time running?" you know, taking on this big job and this big responsibility. And, um, you know, I, I never really quite thought of it that way, but it, it did kind of give me a big wake-up call. Yeah. It's like, that's right, you know, we don't, I mean, I want to make best use of this time. And um, so what, what I found was really gratifying about my own particular journey, or I guess startling in a way, is, is um, how much, uh, how fulfilling it is to find something that you've been working on most of your life kind of in in a very small way and then to find the threads of the stuff that you're good at that comes together and you can approach it with a more mature outlook on life and a more kind of um, uh, integrated view of the of the challenge and it makes it just a lot more interesting to yeah. be able to kind of draw on past experience and then also just kind of the um dare i say wisdom of 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 later uh, yeah, time yeah. in our lives and so anyway so for the, for me that's been um i don't know I, I i i feel like any sense of ambition has been replaced by a sense of duty yeah but yeah. also just the, and the gift of just finding something that, that, that you just have been so passionate the thought of retiring like well why you know i'm I'm enjoying this, and if I can keep doing it, keep going. So, you know, a lot of people retire because maybe they are just don't like their job anymore. But this is something that, as long as you can, you keep doing it because there's you know you have challenges for the planet ahead, and you want to be a part of that really too. I mean, that's exciting. Yeah, I suppose this is my my give back period, and that's something that for most of the people that I've met that are at my age or a little older, they're that's how they've been looking at their lives as well, which is that they've been spending so much time, you know, it's easy to keep your head down, then all of a sudden you pop it up and you realize you've hit 60-something or 70-something, and then that's a chance to like, wow, what can I do to yeah. give it back? Exactly. That's probably the most gratifying part, really. I would agree. <laughs> I hope you enjoy this episode of the Gray Matters Podcast. Please rate and review it and be sure to tell your friends too. For more information about this podcast, go to thegraymatters.org and please subscribe to the Gray Matters wherever you get your podcast. I'd like to thank my guest, Peter Domenical, my co-host, Tony Hoyland, and a special thanks to you, the listener. I'm Todd Harrington. Until next time.